Well, go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you would, please. You can open up to the book of Colossians. While you're turning there, let me ask you this question. How many of you like to get dressed up? You don't, actually, you don't need to raise your hand. Um, if you know the difference between Brian and I when we preach, Brian wants you to raise your hand, and he'll maybe have you shake your head yes or no, or maybe put your right foot in and shake it all about. Um, you know me, that when I preach, it's, I ask the question, but I'm not really looking for that physical response. But how many of you really enjoy getting dressed up? I mean, for younger, maybe homecoming, prom, weddings, special occasions, something like really get dressed up. Maybe if the children, uh, like the little girls, they like to put on maybe their princess dresses and dress up at home in special outfits. And boys, maybe the boys put on a superhero outfit, a cape, maybe a jersey of a, a player they emulate and they really like. If you think about that, everybody likes to dress up, right? Halloween, people want to put on costumes. They want to, they want to be different, look different. I know at our house a few years ago, I decided if there's going to be hundreds of kids coming to my house begging for candy, one, I'm going to make them work for it, and two, I'm going to share the gospel with them. So a few years ago, we started dressing up and having fun, different themes at our, at our house, um, and we have fun with it. It's, it's, it's fun to dress up, right? But have you ever shown up wearing the wrong outfit? Think about that for a moment. It's obviously important that you show up prepared, that you're wearing what is expected. You never want to show up like overly dressed, thinking, oh boy, I overdid it. Or underly dressed. Some of you have had those dreams where in your dream you're like, I was not properly dressed, right? Those are nightmares, right? But when it happens in reality, it's, it's incredibly embarrassing, isn't it? I know sometimes with our camps um, and our mission trips and so forth, we will send out a dress code to the youth to make sure they understand. Here's what's expected. Here's what you're going to wear. If there's a waterfront, a beach, a lake activity, here's what we expect when it comes to dress. We want to make sure that people are prepared for how to dress. So when it comes to Christianity, there's an expectation as well as to how we are to be spiritually dressed, so to say. And we'll get into that in this scripture. And I, I don't know, again, if you've ever noticed today, a lot of people say, well, I'm a Christian. A lot of people call themselves Christians, but then you look at them, you're like, you don't look like a Christian. You don't act like a Christian. You definitely are not talking like a Christian. And so sometimes, again, it's like their physical appearance of how they are acting or behaving tends us to question, did they really get the memo on what we're supposed to be doing, right? And God's word opens that up and says, here's what it looks like to be a Christian. We've been studying in the, in the book of Acts, and in the book of Acts, we have these religious leaders, these apostles, these church leaders, and their life. And it's like, look at their life, right? But what about us, the average believer? I mean, how are we supposed to act? And so as we were going through the book of Acts, we sort of took a pause and said, let's look at the life of these people who were living out their faith. They were knee-deep in a godless culture. I mean, where they lived, people worshipped anything and everything. Prostitutions were in the temple, and that was okay. People lived in violence. Their immoral behavior was not only ex uh, accepted, it was expected. And that's not the way we're supposed to live. So how do you live for God in a godless culture? How do you say, oh, I'm a Christian? Well, what is a Christian supposed to look like? And today in the world that we live in, if you were to say the United States is a very Christian-oriented, a, a God-fearing a God nation, I would probably argue with you a little bit. I feel like we have fallen away from fearing God and worshiping God. 
I feel like our nation is in deep need of coming to a revival of knowing who God is. And so the question is, how do we, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, how do we live in this godless culture? So open up your Bibles again to Colossians. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 3 and start in verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. It says here, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13 goes on to say, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Which binds us together in perfect harmony. I want to break this into three sections. When you first see this, understanding what is your relationship with God like, let's look at this, this first section. This letter was written to uh, the church in the city of Coloss. So it was written to a bunch of people who were believers of Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you're sitting here and you have placed your faith in God, you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are saved. These words were written for you. If you've never placed your faith in God, then these words may sound hollow to you because they were written to those who believe. And the apostles reminded that those reading that, that God personally said, hey, first thing I want you to know, since you are chosen. That's, that's one of the first things that, that the apostles, uh, Paul, when he writes this, says, I want you to know how God looks at you. Before I talk about how you're supposed to live, I want you to understand how God, our creator, looks at you as a Christian. First of all, he says you're chosen. He has picked you out from before eternity began. God said, I want to have a relationship with you, which is mind-blowing, right? And then look what the next thing he says. He says that I have made you to be, he calls us holy, holy people. Now, last week we talked about what does it mean to be holy scripturally. It's, it's a place that's been separated for holy means. It's described as being awe and respect and, and reverence. So it was set apart like a temple was. And the word eventually became to refer to something that was separated from the rest of the world and was thereby sanctified or consecrated or, or made holy. So the use of this word in the New Testament then, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, basically the blood of Jesus separates us, it consecrates us, it makes us holy. Our past sins have been forgiven. When we confess with our mouth, to God our sins, he forgives us. We are made holy by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He then makes our lives a holy dwelling place for his spirit. So God sees us as Christians, as being sanctified, as being consecrated, as being set apart. You have been made holy. Completely different from the rest of this world. So two things I want you to understand about how God looks at you first, okay? Before we start talking about how we're going to live for him, God says this. Because first of all, you are chosen. I've picked you out, and I've made you holy. Back in elementary school, um, I, I, go, I revert back to recess. Now, at recess, I loved going outside. Everybody's like, what's your favorite part of school? It's usually recess, right? Recess or gym, because then you're not in the class. So for me, I love going to recess, but I knew what I did not love to do at recess. It was called dodgeball. 
Because when you're, you know, four foot nothing and a lot of something and you cannot move, you're the last one picked. So when it came to dodgeball and everybody else is, well, everybody's playing dodgeball, I guess I'll go play dodgeball. I would be the last one picked because I would be the first one out because I could not move. And I'd try to move and boom, I'm out. And so no fun for me, right? So I knew what it felt like in elementary school, don't pick Rex. So I knew what it was like to not be chosen. Some of you know what it's like to not be chosen. Maybe you didn't get your project picked. Maybe you didn't get picked for a team. Maybe you didn't get asked to go to the dance. Maybe there's, there's something else in your life where you were never chosen for this. Everybody else got chosen. I didn't get chosen. Everybody else got picked for this. I did not get picked. And here's the thing. The devil is going to whisper those kind of thoughts into your mind, making you think that you are not worthy to be loved because... Well, let's face it, you're not good. You're not good enough. You didn't get picked. No one picks you because you're not good. He'll tell you you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too homely, you're not spiritual enough, you're not smart enough, you're not creative, you're undeserving. He'll tell you everything that you don't want to hear to make you feel that, you're right, I shouldn't be picked. That's a lie from the devil. Because he wants to defeat you. So he will lie to you. Then you pick up Colossians 3.12. And just throw it back in his face. Tell the enemy, no, 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 I am chosen. And I've been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been set apart. He picked me. He chose me. And he's made me holy. Those are absolutely true about you. Look what else Colossians 3.12 goes on to say. Since God chose you to be holy, the people he loves. He loves you. Sometimes we just, we throw that phrase around very flippantly and like, oh, God loves you, God loves you. He loves you with, it's called agape love. It's a, it's a love that's almost hard to define. A Greek word that sometimes scholars will try, like, I don't even know sure how to describe it. One author says agape love is basically when an individual recognizes, uh, let's say, an object of worship, okay? So find an object of worship and, and the beholder looks at that object of worship and, and wor- realizes that that object has incredible value. It is, is something that's really unique and special about it, and it causes my heart to want to long for it more, to know it more. I want to, I love it, I want to know it more. That's agape love. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one only son. God looks at us, mankind, humanity, and says, I love you so much. I created you with value. My image is in you. I, I look at you. I adore you. I appreciate you. I want to make you holy and separate from everybody else. My love is pouring out on you. That's agape love. You know, when God looks at us, his love compelled him to do something. It drove him to action. Who in their right mind would take their child and sacrifice their child for somebody who is evil, let alone for somebody who's good? Nobody. Except a God who says, I love you so much, I'll give up my son, Jesus Christ, for you, because I love you that much. Praise God that he did that, because now we can experience the eternal love of God personally, can't we? Do we deserve God's love? Absolutely not. But at some point in time, you and I realize, you know what? God loves us. 
and it had hit us. And in that moment, you felt overwhelmed by God's forgiveness, by his acceptance, and, and on his tender care for so So much so, it's like, I don't deserve this. But then you realize, but yet he gives it to me. The psalmist David wrote this in Psalm 36, 7. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. Some translations say it's excellent or priceless or highly valued, like a precious jewel. So you can't even put a price tag on God's love for us. God loves you and I with this everlasting, faithful love. And his love for us never changes. His love, his love for you yesterday is the same love he has for you today. And it's going to be the same love he has for you tomorrow. Isn't that amazing? This eternal, faithful love of God. He doesn't judge us based on what our, our life has. He gives us his eternal hope and his eternal love and, and his eternal peace. And, you know, sometimes we, I want power. Oh, I want the right relationship. Oh, I want money. I want a promotion. And like God, who's an incredible parent, he looks out and says, well, I know what you want, but I know what you need. You need my love more than you need this. I want you to be holy. Happiness is something else. He knows what we need. And he saves us and gives us what we need. So you think about this, church. You've been chosen. He looks at you and says, I want you. And then he says, I want you to be different, holy. Uh, my spirit's going to dwell you, so I'm going to make you holy. And I love you. Knowing all of that, how do we respond? I mean, seriously, if you had somebody special in your life and they, they acted that way towards you, doesn't that compel you to want to love them back in some manner or form? Somebody gives you the, the most unique, incredible, loving, awesome gift and, you, and you're just going to let it sit there in the package and leave it wrapped up? No, you'd rip it open and if it's a shirt or whatever, you'd put it on, right? You're like, thank you. I want to honor you by the gift you've given me. I want to show my appreciation back to the one who gave it to me. And so compelled and commanded, we, we are to live in a way that honors and represents God. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily. As to the Lord and not unto men. The way we're supposed to live is to God, not for anybody else. I do not have to live to please you. I live to please God. And if I try to live to please you, I will be like a chameleon trying to live in every way. I will never be happy. I will, I will, go, I will go nuts. Because I can't. So I choose to love God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Here's the thing. I don't know if you've ever had a change of... Uh, business or change of leadership or management or supervision in your business, maybe your job or maybe it's a coach, whatever it is, somebody, the way you used to do things at work, it changed because you have new supervision. You have new management. Under new management, we are now going to do this. And you're like, that's different than the way I used to do it. Exactly, because it's new management. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, guess what? You have spiritual new management. And God says, I'm now in charge. And here's how I want you to live. Under new management, this is the way you're going to live. And the way he wants us to live is a great thing. It is not a burdensome thing. It is a holy thing. It is a good thing. Colossians 3, 7 says this. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. In other words, that's old management. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. 
following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's wrath, just like everyone else. But here comes the good news, verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by grace that we've been saved. Not by works, not by good means, not by my grandma's faith. No, I'm saved because of the grace of God. We're saved, so we're different. We're under new management. So here's the thing. If we're under new management, if we're different, we need to be different. Not just talk about being different. Not just pretend to be different. And I love what the Apostle Paul does. He uses clothing as an imagery to help us understand what it means to be different. He says, like, I want you to look like, in, like a spiritual closet almost, and I want you to do this, this changeover. He tells us, this is what I want you to put off, which we read earlier in Colossians 3. He goes, and here's what I want you to put on, which we are reading today in verses 12, 13, and 14. He has these righteous clothes. Now, there's a gentleman by the name of Rick Renner. He's an author, and he's a pastor, he's, um, and he, serves, he's, he was serving in Russia for quite a while. But Rick Renner describes a story in which he and his wife went shopping. He said this, As Denise browsed through one particular shop for two hours, I sat in the coffee shop down the street and waited. Now, did, I don't know if you noticed this. I made this sure you knew that was Rick Renner's story, not Rex Stump's story, because that could have been very well me, right? Actually, if I would have even made it to the store with my wife, that would have been a bonus. But anyway, he said, The longer I sat there, the more frustrated I became, and I wondered, why is she trying to find new clothes when she just got rid of so many clothes yesterday? So finally, I got up from my table, and I went to the store to confront my wife with that question. Some of you guys are like, no, no, don't do it. <laughs> I asked Denise, who just spent days cleaning out the closet, getting rid of her old clothes. He said this, can you explain to me why you're trying to refill the closet with new clothes? Every gentleman just took one step back, right? The ladies are like, oh, I'll give you reason. She looked at me and responded, it's not about having clothes that fit, I'm sorry, it's about having the clothes that fit who I am now. Those old clothes don't reflect who I am anymore. I need clothes that reflect what's going on in my life right now. So I walked out of the store, returned to the very same coffee shop, sat down, continued waiting. I sat there over a fresh cup of coffee, and I really pondered what my wife had to say. So finally... I called her on my phone. <laughs> this guy is daring. Are you close to finishing up your shopping yet? She answered, please come here. I want to show you what I found. So over the next 40 minutes, there was a little fashion show as she tried on every piece of clothing for herself to show him what she had picked out. He said this, I have to be honest, those clothes were totally different from anything she had in her giveaway pile at home. This deliberate stylistic shift attested to a deeper change in Denise. She is a unique, evolving individual, and the clothes that she chose beautifully reflected the changes taking place in her. I finally got it. And so it is spiritually. The clothes that we wore as non-Christians, as non-believers, do not reflect who we are in Christ in Christ, we have a new wardrobe, a new outfit we need to wear. And the Apostle Paul says, get rid of those attitudes. Get rid of those behaviors. Take them off. And then he tells us in 12, 13, and 14 to put on new clothing. 
Paul tells us, listen, it's not easy to get rid of those old clothes. I get it. You have to make a deliberate choice to get rid of them and to put on the new clothes. So what does this spiritual closet look like? Again, look at your verses 12 and 13 in Colossians chapter 3. It says this, You must clothe yourselves with tender heart and mercy, there's one, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and make allowance for each other by forgiving everyone. So forgiveness is that last piece of clothing. Now real quick, let me hit those. Tender heart and mercy, it's a deep-seated involvement of compassion. The Greek actually says bowels of mercy, like bowels as in your bowel system. When your bowels move, something takes place. It's a strange thing that they use these words. But here basically is when compassion starts to gear up, it should move into action. Don't just feel sorry for people. Don't just look at people and say, man, I wish I could do something for them. Tenderhearted mercy means you're actually going to move into action of showing compassion. In the book of Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is with his disciples. Somebody comes up and says, hey, Jesus, John the Baptist, your cousin, was just beheaded. They put him to death in prison. Can you imagine that? Just out of the blue, somebody comes up and says, your cousin was just murdered. Jesus' heart was broken. He, he says he went to get into a boat to pull out and go to a place by himself. But as he went out, it says this, Jesus saw a large crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and he healed the sick. That word compassion is tenderhearted mercy. It's the same word. See, Jesus saw people and he had a lot going on in his life with the loss of his cousin. But he sat there and goes, but I have compassion and compassion drives me to step out of my boat. I wanted to be alone, but I'm gonna heal those who are sick. More throughout the scripture, we see Jesus doing this. Compassion with action. And so we have to ask, Christians, is that us? Do we have compassion? But do we have compassion that leads to action? Next thing that's listed on there is kindness. Do we show kindness to others? And it's like, oh yeah, random acts of kindness. We all know what it means to be kind. But this word is a little bit different. This word actually means to adapt. Adapt to the needs of others. So in other words, give you an example. I can be kind, but maybe, you know, sometimes I might use sharp words or I might act in a certain way that might upset somebody, but I just tell them, hey, you know what? That's just the way I am. I mean, God made me that way. This kind of kindness says I'm going to adapt and show kindness by changing that to this person that I'm with or these people that I'm with. Because you know what? They've recognized that maybe I'm not being so kind. I need to adapt and show kindness to them. Humility, obviously, when it comes to being humble, we have a choice of being humble or being proud. It's all about me or it's not about me. This humbleness, this humility, it's refusing to self-promote. We live in a world where you're almost told you have to self-promote. You have to get your name out there. You have to get your picture out there. You have to post this. Everybody needs to know what you're doing. Everybody, I mean, you need to promote yourself. And that's not what Christ is calling us to do. Matter of fact, Christ had you and I in mind first. When he went to the cross, he could have said, you know what, I don't want a cross. I don't want pain. But he had you and I in mind. And he humbled himself in obedience to the cross. That's humility. Gentleness or meekness basically says, I will not dominate or manipulate or coerce for my own ends. I, maybe I have the power. I could, I could make you want to do something. But you know what? I'm going to show meekness. Just because I have Power doesn't mean I'm supposed to use it for my own ends. 
It's under being under control. Meekness is really not a weak person. Not at all. It's someone who has learned self-control. Patience. I think we all know what patience means. We all know what it means to be impatient, right? We have short fuses, and here we're told to have long fuses. Long wicks is another translation. It's being short-tempered. Colossians 3.13 says to make allowance for each other's faults, to forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Simply put, when one thinks of how Christ forgives us, it should help us become more generous with showing forgiveness to other people. Forgiving people is difficult at times, isn't it? In those moments when it's so hard to forgive somebody, we got to step back and say, I wonder if it was hard for God to forgive me for everything that I've done against him. I need to show forgiveness to others. So hard at times to clean out our old closets, isn't it? Um, sometimes I like holding on to being impatient. Sometimes I can be short-tempered. Uh, those, those pieces of clothing feel comfortable to me. But I've been told to put off that clothing and to put on spiritual clothing. You know, I like comfortable. Some of you, if you were to go into your closets and your dressers and your wardrobes and you pull things out, it's like, man, I can't get rid of that. That is so comfortable. I know it's from 1990, but it is so comfortable, right? And I'm so thankful for my wife who comes along and says, that needs to go. You've had that way too long. Or somebody else in my life, maybe one of my sons, like, dad, no, right? I had a pair of jeans. They were my favorite jeans. Oh, you know when you find a pair of jeans that you put on, it's like, yeah, I could wear these all day, all night, two days, three days, not wash them. I'm, I'm cool with that. Matter of fact, I don't wash them, right? They're that comfortable, you know what I'm saying? I have a problem with my, my favorite pair of comfortable jeans. They have a faulty zipper. So there have been times I've worn my, my favorite pair of jeans to speak at a school assembly. And then there's been times when I've walked out of a meeting or, or assembly and I'm thinking, oh no. Please tell me that wasn't down the whole time. Unfortunately and perfectly, they haven't been, but there's a reason why I go untucked now because, you know, you never know. I'm getting older. But I finally, finally took those comfortable jeans. They're so comfortable. And said, these are doing nothing but embarrassing me. And I finally just got rid of them. And it was so hard. But you know what? We have so many tendencies in our lives spiritually, things that feel so comfortable to us. Like, well, I've always grown up being this way. I like being this way. But you know what? As comfortable as they are, God said, you need to put that off and put on something new because it's doing nothing but embarrassing you. And it's an embarrassing my name. We have these behaviors that are old and sometimes they just need to go. Look at verse 14. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Love is the summary of all things that are described in this passage. It's sort of like it's the outer belt. It's the outer garment. It's like, okay, now that you got yourself dressed, you've gone in the closet. Now put on what needs to cover everything. Love. Love. Now the question is, can I love everybody? Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Just like forgiveness. Loving some people who are unlovable is one of the hardest things to do. But I believe this. God shows you to love them maybe in a way that's un different than the way you thought you could love them. You can still love them, but it might be defined differently. It might look differently. But I know this because if God's spirit, who is, says, I've chosen you, I live in you, you are holy, you are set apart, I love you. If that love is in me, guess what? That love can be expressed to other people through the power of God. Not my power, 
Definitely through his work. John 13, 34, 35 says this. So now I'm giving you a new command. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Look at this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. You want the world to know that you love Jesus Christ? It's going to be seen through how you love people. It's that outer garment. They may not see the inner garment, the, 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 the white tee. They may not see that T-shirt in there that is I'm clothed with patience, right? They, they may not see your, your socks, which is your clothes maybe with, with humility, right? But what they will see is your outer garment, which you're clothed with love. Love is the biggest thing in your closet. But here's the thing. Love, like all these other garments that God has given us, they're hanging in your spiritual closet. The question is, are you going to put them on? See, I, I'm, I'm equipped at my house with clothes, you can go to my closet, you can go to my wardrobe, you'll see, yeah, he's got shirts, he's got pants, he's got clothes, he's got a couple suits. It's there. We all have it. The question is, have you put it on? Anybody can own a suit, but you have to deliberately walk into the closet, pull it out and put it on. God's given us these items, these behaviors, these spiritual fruits and disciplines and says, I want you to put on. But you've got to walk in the closet. There's not one person in this room that wakes up in the morning, walks into the closet, and just stands like, all right, jump on me. And boom, shirt, clothes, pants, shoes, socks, belt. Thank you. I don't think anybody in this room is capable of doing that. You have to deliberately choose what you're going to put on and then actually put it on. Spiritually speaking, it's the same way. You've got to choose love. You've got to choose patience. You've got to choose humility. You've got to choose all these things, gentleness, meekness. You've got to put it on yourself. Worship team, would you come forward, please? Now, here's going to be a challenging thing. Sometimes we know what we need to put on, don't we? but we just have that hard time. If you do not have somebody in your life that you can trust that can be encouragement to you, you need to find somebody who will hold you accountable. They will walk beside you and say, hey, my friend, I noticed you're short-tempered or I noticed you don't show love the way you need to. And I want to point that out to you because I love you, man. And you're my Christian brother. You're my Christian sister. And I'm not saying this to judge you, but I know this. Um, if I'm wearing clothes with stains on them or rips or something that's just like, that is so out of style. I hope my wife, I hope my sons, I hope somebody in my family will come to me and say, you need to not wear that. You need to wear this. I would hope in the same way one of my Christian brothers or sisters would approach me and say, hey, Rex, I, I love you, man. But if you're going to lead our church, this is this thing in your life, you need to change your clothing. And you might feel like, oh, I can't believe I'm talking to my pastor that way. Well, you're talking to your Christian brother. And we all have blind spots. There's things in my life that, that I struggle with. Maybe I don't see it, but you see it. In the same way, there's struggles in your life that maybe you don't see, but somebody else sees. And we got to be willing to come to one another out of love, out of love, and say, I've noticed this about you. Um, I just want to help you. I think maybe in your closet, you got something better to wear. I want to encourage you to put it on. We need that kind of accountability. And I think sometimes as Christians, we're so afraid to help each other out, we say nothing. And we let each other walk around in embarrassment. I wanna encourage you, church, out of love, you help one another. But it starts with you, before somebody else steps into your life, it starts with you confessing your sins to God. He's picked you. He's chosen you. He's setting you apart. He loves you. 
With that, think about what you're supposed to be putting on. Make the deliberate choice to change your wardrobe, spiritually speaking. Would you stand, please? I know I've preached on this passage before, somewhere in the past, uh, just as I would preach about Christmas story, as I would preach about the resurrection of Jesus Christ at Easter, uh, I believe this message is often worth repeating because, again, I don't think Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on a cross, to be buried, to resurrect from the dead, to rescue us from sin and death just so that we could live in spiritual poverty. I don't think he did that. I think he did it with a purpose to rescue us and redeem us, so we must change our spiritual clothes and honor the one who has rescued us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are a holy God and you've called us to be holy. You've called us to be different from the rest of this world. And so you you give us these spiritual clothes and you say, go put those on. And Heavenly Father, I know for many of us, we're so comfortable with what we do and how we live that that change of behavior, that change of living might be challenging and difficult, but by your spirit, you've made us holy. You've given us the ability to make the change. Lord, help us to be obedient in following through. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day in which we've had to worship you, in which we've been able to sing to you, pray to you, in which we've been able to make a commitment even for a little child to say, we want to raise this child up in a godly way. And God, just as much as we long to see little children come to know you, we as adults need to continue to grow and know you more and more every day. Help us, Lord, to walk in a way that honors you, to dress in a way that reflects you. In thy name we pray, amen.